thinking about you this week and praying for you this week and looking at you. To be really honest with you, it's um, just the stories that I know in this great congregation, there's just like a wave of heartache and trouble that has gone across our, our group. If you're not in it right now, then it's uh, good for you, you know, pray and love other people. But they're just a, just, if we started telling our stories today of difficulties that are unspeakable in our lives or hardships that are beyond us or losses that are just almost inexpressible or just nagging problems that we can't even really put our finger on, they're just... It's a lot of trouble. And um, this is the hour in which we humble ourselves before the Word of God and we seek bread for our souls. And I feel like we ought to pray a little bit here some more before we go on. So with that in mind, the heartaches and the difficulties and the pressures and uh, the temptations and the distractions that are present in the room right now. Let's, um, let's pray together. Now, Heavenly Father, we continue in worship and praise and prayer, and my heart is, is burdened and, and eager to help, eager to help men and women who have uh, questions they can't answer, problems they can't solve, heartaches that won't go away, losses that nag at them, Lord, a future that perhaps for some is uncertain, feelings of hurt that are hard to talk about, Lord, and and a whole bunch of just really ignorance and confusion about your word and your truth that kind of gets us kind of off on dead ends and messes up our lives. And just a few minutes here this morning before we Go out on this beautiful spring-like day. Just a few minutes to pause and think about the words that echo down through the corridors of time and build up your church. And I'm asking you, Lord, sincerely, that you would help the people that have gathered here this morning, that you would speak to our hearts through your word, the Bible, that you would give us clear direction, that you would inspire us with confidence about the things that we're facing, that you would help us to see an invisible kingdom, an invincible kingdom, an ultimate kingdom, an inevitable kingdom, a kingdom that will never pass away even though it's currently an invisible kingdom. And that, that our hearts would beat fast with that and that you would stir us with holiness and confidence that, that families would follow after you generation after generation. Lord, I'm just asking you today that you would help me do justice to the beautiful stories that you've given to us, the parables that you've given to us here in your word, that your people would be fed by them. We ask this sincerely and humbly in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I heard a story about a girl who went to college a long way away, got on an airplane, went away from her family, hundreds of miles away from her family. She was very insecure 
And she's in this college hundreds of miles away. It's a Christian college, and her pastor recommended a church to her. said, you ought to go to this church. Well, so she went to that church, and that church said, hey, Friday night we're going to have a, we're gonna have a, a Christian service thing. We're all going to go out, and we're all going to go out and witness. And you ought to come with us. Well, she was a very shy girl. So she thought, well, I'll go, but I'm going to have to have somebody go with me. So they went out as a team at the Friday night, and they're going through the neighborhood. And, you know, Friday night there weren't many people home. People that were home, not all of them are real receptive to religious fanatics going door to door, passing out tracts and talking about Jesus on a Friday night. So she felt a little intimidated by that, but it kind of got worse because behind one of the houses that caught her attention, there was a light in the sky and there was the noise of a crowd. It was a Friday night. It was a high school football game. And all the sights and sounds and smells of a high school football game beyond the neighborhood where she was just passing out tracks and trying to witness the people. Her mind went back to a couple years earlier. In the fall of the year, she was on the 50-yard line. She had roses in her hands. She had a crown on her head. She had the intention of the entire student body and all the guests. But now she was walking through a dark neighborhood with people that were kind of weird, passing out religious pamphlets to people who didn't want them. And it kind of nagged at her at the time, is this what it's supposed to look like? Am I really on the winning team here? Is this really the kingdom of God that that can't be altered or stopped because it looks like the bad guys are kind of in control. You ever have a feeling like that? Yeah, I mean, let's be honest, right? You you ever a feeling every once in a while, you're like, I know I'm doing the right thing, and I know what the Bible says, but I kind of feel like the bad guys are winning and the good guys are not winning. I'm a little tempted sometimes to believe that. Now, for, now for, this is, I believe, the spirit that many of the disciples would have had in the text where we are today in Matthew chapter 13, and why Jesus told them the stories that he told them. And when the book was written through Matthew, through the Holy Spirit, and the people of God were just a little group of of Christians that were a handful of disciples and a little group of Christians just kind of getting going, they would have gotten this word. It would have been kind of a little group and not very powerful and not very impactful and not very connected. And they would have felt like, what am I doing here? And is this thing really going to work? And then they got the word here, these stories. Jesus wanted them to hear these stories, these parables, as the Bible calls them. And I want you to look at them. Let's just, and three of them we're going to look at this morning, three. It's starting from uh, Matthew 13, verse 24. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like. Now, each one of these is going to be introduced with the kingdom of heaven is like. So here's what my kingdom looks like. kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. These tares are weeds that look like wheat. Verse 27, so the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, an enemy has done this. The servants said to him, do you want us to go, then go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. 
Oh, well, that's helpful. (laughs) What's that mean? People, Jesus was in a boat, and he's giving these stories, and the people looking at each other, I'm sure, and went, did did you get that? Uh, uh, Did I miss something? I mean, that was kind of a quaint little story, but I'm not sure I understand how the kingdom of heaven is like that. Later, as we know, the disciples will ask that, which was part of Jesus' tactic, and then he would explain it to them, and he's going to explain it to us too. But he tells another story. It's in verse 31. There's another parable. He put forth to them, saying, there it is again, the kingdom of heaven is like, it's like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. What does that mean? It's like a kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. A man plants it in a field and it grows up real big, so big birds can land in it. Okay. I don't think anybody probably got it right away there. He tells another story, another parable, verse 33, he spoke to them, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leavened. So he's like, when you're overwhelmed and it looks like the visible kingdom is overwhelming the invisible kingdom, then I want you to think about weeds and wheat growing together. I want you to think about a guy planting mustard seeds, and I want you to think about a lady baking bread. All right, let's go. (laughs) There are a few more stories that he gave. Now, what Jesus is doing, we do know, is Jesus is trying to make it clear to the people what the kingdom is supposed to look like. What is my rule going to look like? This, this time in which we live, and, and we are in, in, the, in the sense of through the eyes of God, we live in the same time as the time that Jesus is talking about to his disciples here. So he's introducing the age, and he says, this is what the age is going to look like in this invisible kingdom age. And we know it as within that is the age of the church, and we're in that. This is what it's going to be like, and it's important to know what it's like, because if we get misdirected about what God is doing, it's going to mess us up really bad. And he wanted his disciples to know, and they would have been kind of given to misunderstanding for at least three reasons. Number one is, when you think kingdom, they would tend to think like in the flesh, like we would, in terms of something that you've got to make it happen yourself. Kingdom? Okay, I get that. We, you know, you just got to do what you do. And the rule, if we're going to rule, we're going to rule. So let's just let's do this thing. There would be people who would, they would be immediately moved toward kind of rigorous self-effort. And that would be really the flesh. That would be missing kind of the point that Jesus is making. But a second reason would be kind of the national psyche or the way that people would think at the time. A national psyche is kind of informed by the heroes that they look up to, right? And one of the heroes of the time would be a guy who lived 160 years before. He was uh, the son of a a priest, uh, Mattathias. His name was Judah. They dubbed him Judah the Hammer. And, and there was a despotic uh, ruler that had taken away, had, had conquered uh, Jerusalem, taken away worship in the temple, and he had actually done some vile and, and um, 
blasphemous things, and he had erected a statue to the god Zeus in the temple in Jerusalem. But Judah the hammer had gotten together kind of an insurrection, and he had overrun them and driven them out. It was during this time they needed oil for the lamps, and they only found a little bit of oil that wasn't already corrupted, and it wouldn't be enough to last very long. But as the story goes, the oil lasts for eight days while they have time to get more. You guys like in this history lesson? If you don't like history, you just got to hang on for a couple of minutes and I'll be done with this. Yeah. And they get more oil and it lasts for eight days. And then the candle burns, the candle, the candle lava burns for eight days. And the people of Israel then would celebrate this with a national holiday that lasted eight days of feasting called the Feast of Dedication or the Feast of Lights. Or some people have called it Hanukkah. And Jesus came to Jerusalem to celebrate this when he was on earth. The scriptures say. And so Judah the Hammer would have been a national hero. And when you talk about Messiah, that's probably exactly where the people's minds would have gone. Oh, I know what that's going to be. It's going to be kind of like think kingdom, think castle, think Braveheart, think we're taking over. Of course, we tend to mix those medieval themes in. They certainly didn't. But they did have the idea of kind of military conquering. So it kind of set them up to really misunderstand the the invisible form that the kingdom was going to be taking within that age. Does that make sense? A third thing that would, that would also kind of set them up to misunderstand would be a lot of the Old Testament, when it describes the kingdom, describes the kingdom in really kind of theocratic military terms, and, and that's because it's pointing forward to the second advent or the second coming of Jesus Christ when that's exactly what the kingdom will be like. And I'm, not, and I'm looking forward to that. But not for now. For now, it is an inevitable kingdom. It is an invincible kingdom. But it is an invisible kingdom for the most part. And so the people would have this misunderstanding. So God, in His kindness through His Son, the Lord Jesus, was going to give them these stories that would be concrete, that would stick in their minds, that would arouse their curiosity, that He would explain, and they would become a part of the working capital of the church of Jesus Christ, the stories of Jesus that we would never forget. We would teach them to our children in Sunday school. They would have these concrete elements. We would not forget them. If you... If you will, in Isaiah chapter, don't turn there, in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, this is a messianic prediction prophecy, and there are just dozens and dozens of them in the Bible in the Old Testament. But one of them, Now it will come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all the nations will flow into it. So the nations saying, you can't worship, and we're going to tear down your temple, and we're going to defile your temple. All the nations are going to come and worship in their temple, or else it's not going to rain on their crops. And so the Jewish people are like, yeah, I'm looking forward to that time. And who's going to lead that? Let's, let's, let's get that thing going. That's what we want to do. Kind of a military deliverance thing. Ezekiel 20, verse 38, I will purge rebels from among you. They're like, yeah, <laughs> that's going to be a good time. You can tell by what people name their kids. If you go through that time, you can tell by what people name their kids where their hope would lie. I actually have kind of a rabble rouser friend who actually had a little boy and named him Judah the Hammer. So I'm like, I hope he's not like a little kind of artsy kind of a kid because he's going to get beat up all the time at school. You know. 
It's in this atmosphere that Jesus tells the seven stories and explains them in private. And this is very important that we have Matthew 13 because God wants His people to understand His program. He wants you, the problems that you're thinking about, that you have, and the loved ones that are, that are on the pew you're sitting on today that are going through sometimes are just insurmountable, difficult human problems. God wants you to understand what He's doing overall because it's going to help you a lot make it through whatever it is you're going through if you understand what God is doing. He's always wanted His people to have at least some understanding of what He's doing. In some cases, He's just going to go, I'm not going to give you details, but you can trust me. In other places, He gives us some detail, and He gives these stories. That's what He's used. And so... He wants them to have a true understanding, a true perception of what he's doing in the world. And what he's doing during the kingdom, uh, during the, the, the invisible kingdom age, during the age of the church, is he's redeeming a people out of the world for his name. That's what he's doing. He's wanting his people to go and make disciples. And, and, and I'll show you, I could give you lots of proof, but I'll show you one. It, after the resurrection, Jesus himself talked so much about the kingdom that even after he died and he was buried and he rose again, the disciples were still saying, so when's the kingdom going to be? Is this the kingdom time? They're, they're, he created an appetite for his rule. He created an appetite for his kingdom. And so they're going, okay, so when is this going to start? Let's do this thing. And Acts chapter 1 and verse 6, Therefore, when they had come together, post-resurrection, right? When they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You see the anticipation that was in their souls? Oh, you died. Oh, you're alive. Okay, now is it time? His answer is very interesting. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You're not going to conquer the Gentiles. You're going to convert the Gentiles. That's the program. Really? Yeah. You're not going to force them. You're not going to condemn them. You're not going to burn them. You're going to invite them. You're going to go, and you're going to take my story of the gospel of my death burial and resurrection forgiveness of sins and rule in their life and you're going to go around the world with that story that's my plan go gather a people for my name so they're kind of okay i'm getting this it's interesting isn't it now jesus does explain his plan he doesn't explain it all the stories in Matthew chapter 13, but in Mark chapter 4, verse 34, it says that in private he did explain to his disciples all of the stories. It says, but without a parable he did not speak to them, meaning at this particular period of time, but when they were alone he explained all things to his disciples. For a while you're going to hear stories about my grandpa's farm because I just finished writing a book about it, so that's just how it works. Because that's when my brain is working. I remember in the summertime going to work with my grandpa on the farm, and it wasn't work. It was just awesome. It was like a vacation because I didn't do it like all summer long. So it was like, it was, it was cool. In the morning, we would get up real early before breakfast, and we would go down to the pond, and we would run the line to see if we caught any fish from the pond. And if we did, we'd bring them back, and grandpa would clean them, and maybe we were going to have those for lunch. And he had a way of kind of teaching all the time. What I'm, here's what I'm going to do, and after that we're going to do this. And he'd ask you a question like a good teacher, so why am I doing this? And why wouldn't I do it this way? And, and you know, it was kind of like I could tell when my eyes were glassing over, and like yours are now, some of you. And, um, and, you know, he would just ask those questions, and he would, that would be good. I should probably just stop and say, okay, what did I just say? 
You'd go somewhere else to church. I guess I better not do that. So he would ask me these questions, you know, and I would answer the questions. And he'd say, okay, here's what we're going to do today. And he would kind of line out the whole day. And I was, I'm kind of a hyperactive kid that doesn't really always pay attention that carefully. And I'm kind of living in the moment. And I do mean the moment. And so I, I you know, it goes over my head what he's doing. I'm like, yeah, okay. That's going to be a great, all I know is, Grandpa, I'm going to be with Grandpa, we're going to have a great time. He's like, we're going to do this, then we're going to do that, and then we're going to unhook the wagon, we're going to hook up the baler, we're going to go up on the west pasture, and then we're going to leave it up there, we're going to pick up that wagon, we're going to take it back down, we're going to throw the hay, we're going to feed the, you know, I was like, okay, lunchtime. I remember that, that one particular day at lunchtime. So we go in and we have lunch, we have, you know, puffballs and mushrooms and fish that he fried and corn on the cob and tomatoes from the garden and we're just having a great time one time my grandpa and i just the two of us we worked really hard and we sit there and we turned a whole big plate of sweet corn into a, a furry pile of cobs just the two of us and we kind of looked at each other and smiled said well we better get some get some work done now since we did all that so we walk out and and i go running out and he goes and gets on the tractor and i jump on the wagon and he starts the tractor and he drives away and the tractor is not hooked to the wagon, and the tongue of the wagon goes bonk and falls on the ground. And I'm just standing there, and Grandpa's driving up through the field. I'm like, whoa! So I jump off the wagon, and I go beating it. You know, he doesn't even slow down. He's just up through the field. I'm just running, catch up, and my heart's beating fast. And, okay, my Grandpa's kind of, you can see him smiling. He goes, you forgot what we were doing, didn't you? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, you got to pay attention, Kenny. Jesus loved his disciples and he wanted them to cherish his words and his words were loaded with truth. There would be a time when they would come to a dark night of the soul when they would need to remember the stories Jesus told. And there will be times in your life when you just feel like you can't go on. It's those times when the Word of God and the words of Jesus are so very precious to you that you go back, I remember, oh, that's what he must have meant. That's why he said that didn't mean that much to me then, but right now, I just don't want to read anything else. I don't want to listen to anything else. I just want to get my Bible over my lap. I want to find the promises of God. I want to claim the promises of God. I want to know what he's doing. And he was faithfully doing that. So how did these stories explain the kingdom? If you don't get this, you're going to burn your life in a worthless cause. You're going to do stuff that doesn't matter. You're going to end up at the end of your life having spent your entire life on a dead-end street. You want to know what he's doing in this world, and you want to get involved in it. Otherwise, you will exhaust yourself working against God's plan, kind of with your own little kingdom thing going on. You don't want to do that, or else you'll give up in despair and defeat, and you'll lose your influence for God, and you'll kind of walk, or you'll just kind of bide your time. You want to know what God's doing in the world, Because if you don't, you're going to miss out on a meaningful and impactful life. You want to always be kind of ear to the ground and heart ready to do what God wants you to do. I'm in a hospital calling this week. And, you know, sometimes I like hospital calling, especially if people kind of want me there, because I'm like, I know I'm doing something people want, and it means something to them. So that's very meaningful to me. So I go to the hospital, and I have a nice call in the hospital. I feel like I've been a help. So when I'm all done, I'm walking down the hallway of the hospital, and I have this little, and it's kind of later in the evening, and I'm looking forward to getting home to be with my family, and I get this little voice in my soul that says, I wonder if there's anybody else here you need to see. And I thought, well, you know, that's just, that could be nothing. That just could be guilt speaking. (laughs) But there's that little feeling, and as I walk out through the corridor of the hospital, there's little Michael, a little guy that comes here. And he's sitting right in the front pew a lot of times. And Michael goes, Pastor Pierpont. I go, hey, what are you doing here, Michael? 
He's like, my mom is here. I'm like, really, where? You want to visit her? I'm like, yeah, let's go see her. And I walk in this room, and here's this precious woman who is a very serious physical problem. And her husband, Michael. It's like kingdom work. It's kind of fun. Like God kind of put in my heart, you know, keep your eyes open. Something might be happening here. That's not just pastor stuff. <laughs> that's, that's every one of us. When we live with that continual awareness of the, 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 the truth, the inevitability of an invisible kingdom of God, that He's doing something right now, we won't be discouraged and burn our lives or waste our lives or think our lives don't matter. I don't care where you work or what you do. God is there. He's at work. He wants you to be there and do what you're supposed to do. He wants you to be connected with what He's doing in His kingdom. And so He tells these stories. Well, the story of the mustard seed, I mean, why did He tell that? Well, here's the deal. In this parable, he says a mustard seed is very, very small. It's sown in the field. It's the least of the seeds that's sown in the field. But when it's grown, it becomes so great. It's like this plant can grow up over a man's head and birds can nest in this plant. It becomes so large. What is the kingdom like? It's like a mustard seed. It starts small, but it gets big. So you're looking around, you say, I don't see much evidence of what God's doing. Well, stick around, you will. It starts small, it gets big. There's a lot to that. It's a story that he wanted you to understand. There's another story of a woman baking bread. By the way, isn't it wonderful? And don't you love Jesus for capturing these kind of warm, pastoral, bucolic, evocative kinds of things to tell stories about? I love him that way. It's like, I'm going to tell you about a woman baking bread. Doesn't that just make you hungry, just saying that? A woman baking bread. Can you smell that? Can you just see her? Isn't that wonderful and domestic? Shouldn't all women do that? Go ahead, lie about it. You know, act all egalitarian. No, I think men should bake bread too. Okay, whatever. I like all the women in my life. I like them to bake bread for me. And, oh, what a wonderful thing is to smell bread baking and watch bread rising. And who doesn't love that? Jesus has this picture of a woman baking bread. Just a little simple picture. What's he saying? Well, the, 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 the yeast, do you understand how yeast works? I asked Lois about this yesterday. I'm like, okay, Lois, what does yeast look like? She goes, well, it's kind of like powdery. I hope I'm not going to get myself in trouble here. Yeah, it's kind of powdery. I'm like, I'm kidding her, you know, because so, I've like, I read Wikipedia on this, so now I know. And I'm like, so what does it look like? She's like, it's sort of like in granules. It's sort of powdery. I go, Really? What's it look like, though? She's like, it's sort of bubbles. I'm like, okay. Which wasn't bad, because bubble is actually the word, that's where the word kind of comes from, bubble, but it bubbles. But what does it look like, and how does it work? She goes, I don't know, but it works, and you've got to have it. Now, most people that, like, unless you're a chemist, that's probably what you think of. I, like, I don't know how it works, but it works, and you want it to do what it does. It's kind of a chemical reaction. It's kind of secret, and it's kind of mysterious, but... And you don't see it, and it, but it does what it does, and you want it to do what it does. Now, I'm eating Amish friendship bread, which I highly recommend. They can eat English friendship bread, sourdough bread, whatever you want to call it. But if somebody gives you a starter for Amish friendship bread, stop the merry-go-round. You want that, okay? If you don't even have a girl in your life to make it for you, work on that. Get Brew some coffee and make that Amish friendship bread. That's what I'm, I'm your pastor, and I'm recommending that to you. And I have this Amish friendship bread. One time it's like a cinnamon in it. It's just a wonderful butter, black coffee. 
oh my goodness, that was good. And so I'm just eating this, enjoyed that. And then I was thinking of a friend. Hadn't seen him for years. I said, you know what? I'd call Gary on the phone, see what's up. And so I called Gary Mickle, my friend on the phone. My friend Gary is a brilliant guy that can do a lot of stuff, but verbally he's just kind of aw shucks, farmer type, you know. Yeah, he doesn't ever say too many words. And I call him on the phone. Hey, Gary, how you doing? Oh, Pastor, I'm doing great. Yeah, what are you? I said, I'm on. I'm just sitting here thinking about you, Gary, and I just want to give you a call and talk. And he goes, well, nice to hear your voice. I'm like, what are you doing, Gary? And he goes, oh, I just got done eating something. I'm like, what were you eating? Oh, some of that Amish friendship bread. I said, are you serious? That's what I just got done eating. I mean, how did that happen? <laughs> this stuff spreads, and I don't know. I don't think we got the same batch. I mean, he was like two or three states away, but we could have. That's the way it works. It's like invisible, a chemical reaction. You don't know how it works. Almost nobody who loves it understands it, but you love it, and it spreads all around, and it's sweet, and you like it, and when you have it, you want somebody else to have it. And I'm probably pressing the illustration just a little bit because it's food after all. But what Jesus is saying is. My kingdom is going to be secret, invisible, but it's going to work and it's going to spread. That's how it works. So don't get all discouraged if you don't always see everything working immediately and it doesn't get big right away. Then there's this little parenthesis, if you will. See that verse 33, uh, verse uh, 34, and, and um, it says this. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables. Without a parable, he did not speak to them. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, I will open my mouth in parables and I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. And this is a quotation from a prophet whose name was Asaph, a worship leader guy who wrote Psalm 78. And Psalm 78 is a piece of work. And since you haven't promised to stay all day long, it'll have to be another day we talk more about it. But can I give you the quick flyover to Psalm 78? It's about Israel continuously rebelling against God. And in the end, he still says, I don't care how much you rebel or how much bad stuff you do or how disobedient you are or how rebellious you are. He says, my kingdom is still not going to stop. That is pretty cool when you think about it. Even if my people Israel reject me, the kingdom going to keep on rolling. That's what he's saying with that. How that fits so beautifully there. And then he goes on to this explanation. Let's jump into it here. So you have the mustard seed. What's, how is that like the kingdom? Well, it starts small, but it gets big. And the leaven, how is that like the kingdom? Well, it's quiet and mysterious, but it has a great influence. And the prophecy of the parables tells us that nothing will stop it. Not even Israel's continual, repeated disobedience. And can I say this? And not yours and not mine either. Amen? That God and His mercy and His grace, His power and His kingdom, is going to, you want to be a part of it. And then the other one, the weed and the wheat. How do we understand that? Well, Jesus explained it to us. Let's go through that here. The weed and the wheat. And I have a little, let's look at it like this. Um, act, look in uh, chapter 13 and verse 36. Chapter 13 and verse 36. Jesus sent the multitude away. He went into the house. This may have been Peter's house in Capernaum. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And they answered uh, and said to them, who, he, and he answered and said, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. That's a big deal. Who is the son of man? It's him. So he's saying, I'm the one who sows the good seed. 
This is an amazing statement. If he's not Jesus, this is an arrogant statement to make. But because he is God, he has every right to say, I'm the one who sows the seed. All the good seed, I sow it. Okay? Hmm. The field is the world, not the church, the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. The tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. The reapers are the angels. This is pretty rich stuff, okay? Jesus says, the, the, the son of man, me, I sow the good seed, and the sons of the kingdom are the ones that grow out of that seed, but the devil sows the bad seed, and the followers of the devil are the, the tares, the weeds, sown by the devil. In the same time, in the same place, what is the kingdom going to look like? You're going to have believers and unbelievers growing up together and, and looking a lot alike. And so remember what they said in the story, so do we go and we pull the weeds? And he says, no, we don't pull the weeds. That's not your job. I am going to command the armies of the angels. This is Jesus who's in command of the angel armies. I'm going to say at the end of the age, go get the weeds, pull them out, bundle them up, and burn them with fire. Jesus is telling these little happy stories. That one must have had a little bit of teeth in it, huh? You're like, whoa. It sounds to me like what you're saying is people that aren't children of God are going to suffer in the end and not be in the kingdom, get burned with fire. Precisely what the Bible does say. Jesus is not somebody that you can just like put on your shelf and refer to him whenever you're feeling a little low. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the master of the entire universe. He always has been and he always will be. You want to make sure that he plants you and you grow, that you're wheat and not weeds, right? And then he says, Therefore the tares are gathered and burned with fires, so it will be at the end of this age. And the Son of Man will send out his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And listen to how Jesus ends the interpretation of this story. He then says, Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. And then he repeats this phrase, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Do you have ears to hear? Let me give you some applications. Think about this. The kingdom, what's it like? It's like mustard seed. Seems small, but gets big. It's like leaven. You can't see it working all the time, but it's working. And it's influential. It works even though people, even God's people, even if they rebel against Him, His kingdom is going to roll anyway. And evil is always present in this form of the kingdom. And it's not our job to root out the evil in the world. It's our job to watch over any evil that gets in the church. That's called church discipline. But it's not our job to weed out evil in the world or condemn or, or be eager to burn because the people that are weeds now might be wheat tomorrow or the next day. That's our desire. It's like, God, change them from weeds to wheat, from lost to saved, that they would never find a place in the fire of eternal judgment of God, but they would shine forth in the kingdom of the Father like the righteous are going to shine forth and be vindicated and be honored. Jesus says, I want you to know that even then things are going to get ugly, I'm still king. Now think about this. 
Imagine a guy, I'll call him Fred. He's lost all his benefits at work because the company is kind of on hard times. And he doesn't get any overtime anymore. But he depended on his overtime for almost anything he liked to do or anything he wanted to have. And now he's gotten to the point where he has to sell his prized Camaro that he's kept since high school. And there's no way he can do without it. So he puts it in the paper and some joker comes to buy it who left his wife and he's living with his girlfriend. And it looks like he's got plenty of money. And he drives away with his car and he thinks to himself, is this what all things work together for good is supposed to look like, God? Because it seems to me like, it seems to me like the good guys are winning and the bad guys are losing. Or the good guys are losing and the bad guys are winning. You, you, you know what I'm at. There are going to be times, many times, when the enemy looks big and powerful and we feel small and weak. You ever feel that way? Small, kind of weak, kind of outnumbered? And you're tempted because of the current evident triumph of evil? Or maybe like you're the only Christian in your, in your office or one of the few consistent Christians in your school. And, and, and you, it bothers you that there are civil rights are being taken away from churches and Christians. And, there, and, and, and civil rights are, for, are being given to people who practice moral wrongs. And people that don't love God and know God are in places of rule in our nation. And nobody seems to be holding them accountable for that. And you've got to look long and hard to find anybody who really is a statesman, a godly person, who really believes the Bible and knows Jesus. And you get frustrated you think, God, are you sure you're in control here? Because we have problems with cancer and we have problems with rebellion and we have problems with money. And it's just hard for me to stay on top of my bills, let alone all the other stuff that's going on in the world. It's a time that we need to remember that Jesus says these things. And let me give you some applications on our way out. Jesus is king. He always has been. He always will be. He's in charge of the harvest at the end. He's in charge of everything that goes from now until then. He's the one who made everything. He's the one that brings everything to his consummation. He will physically, literally rule on this earth in the kingdom as it's expressed on the earth one day and throughout the eternal ages. And the real issue is are you going to be with him or not? The people that you love, are they going to be with him there or not? Application, Jesus is king now and forever. You figured that out. Another thing, don't be willful. In other words, don't have your own thing you're doing and, and ignore what he's doing. If he says, we're gathering people for my name out of the earth, then don't go off and do things like shoot abortion doctors, like you take the law into your own hands and say, well, this I'm doing for God. No, don't violate God's law to do things for God. D- don't, don't start a weeding program trying to be condemning lost people. Lost people do what lost people do because they're lost. It's not your job. Jesus is going to take care of that with his angels, the vengeance and someday in his fire, but not now, not now, not in this time when God is manifesting his great patience. It's our opportunity to share the gospel in in any creative way that we can to people. Don't be willful and ask God to bless what you're doing. Get involved with, with what God is blessing. Do with him what he's blessing. That's what I'm saying. Don't don't be condemning don't be condemning or start a weeding, pro- weeding program, uh, but we should be discerning, yes. And it's a job of leaders of the church to watch over. It's a job of all believers to watch over one another. And it's a job of leaders in the church to initiate discipline on people that have strayed from God and call themselves Christians. Jesus didn't say we're not supposed to do that. We, we have to do that. But that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is lost people out in the world. They're weeds. 
We're not going to weed them out. He's going to weed them out, but we're going to hopefully see them converted from weeds to, to wheat. Don't be discouraged. I think this is probably obvious from what I've already said. Shouldn't be discouraged, but realize, no, this is what it was supposed to look like. There's a presence of evil among the good is the way it's supposed to look like. And that's really hopeful and helpful to me because I'm one of those kind of little house in a prairie, let's build a cabin in the woods and take the family out there and stay as far away from the world as we can kind of guys in my flesh. You know, you know what I'm saying? I think maybe young dads are this way. You have these little adorable little babies and you have your wife and you have said, let's go build a cabin in the woods, man. Let's not go anywhere around those weeds. Let's get as far away from those weeds as we can. Jesus says, that's not the program. I want you with the weeds. Because some of them are going to be weeds. And you need to live right next to them. But you're saying, but wait, I'm afraid of contamination. He says, you have my spirit living within you. And if you have a passion for holiness and the life of God in you, you can withstand that and not be contaminated, even though there is a danger of contamination. Don't go off and live in the woods unless you're called of God to do that. But be among people. Don't be overcome with evil. Overcome evil with good. Don't run away from people who are hurting. Go and live next door to people that are hurting and love them and give them the gospel and help them. This is what Jesus is saying. I know I have a friend who decided he was going to build like a Camelot, this little community. I won't name it, but he, he, he picked it out of literature. And he had an idea that he would find this beautiful rolling countryside and he would buy hundreds of acres and he and his friends would buy hundreds of acres and they would all move to that area and the kids would all go to school together and they would all go to church. Doesn't this sound cool? It's kind of like Camelot, you know. Everybody goes to school together, everybody goes to church together, and nobody says anything bad. How many of you think it worked? Yeah, you know what? It didn't work. And experiments like that have never worked. If you read history, they have never worked. You know why? Because, you know, when you get off there in that beautiful place that you created, that little Camelot that you created, you're all a bunch of depraved sinners. <laughs> Sin goes worming its way right into that community. It just doesn't work. You know why? Because it's not supposed to work like that. When that happens, Jesus is going to do it. And when he does stuff, he does it right. But for us, for now, what he wants us to do is be among people who need him and give the gospel. I had a sister say to me that she, she works with a lady who doesn't know the Lord. The lady watches her life and she says to her, there's something about you that's attractive. You, know, you, you seem peaceful and, and you seem like you have happiness. And I'd like for you to explain that. So this lady... Is going out to work, out to, after work, she's going out with her, having coffee, and gently, slowly, carefully influencing her towards the Lord. That is gathering a people for his name out of the world. That is kingdom work. That's what it's supposed to look like. And it might be taking tomatoes over next door. You may have to wait a few months to do that. Taking them over next door to the neighbor, a gesture of love. You understand, nobody gets saved by tomatoes, but it makes the gospel sweet, you know, if you give people gifts and things like that. I guess the overall thing is you want to make sure you're, you're wheat and not weeds because this is a pretty ominous passage here. Let's not spend a single day in confusion about what the Father's doing in our time. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out His angels. They will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness will cast into the furnace of fire, cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. 
That must have made the people that were faithful think of Daniel 12 and verse 3. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteous like stars forever and ever. There is a kingdom right now. It is invisible. There is a kingdom, though it's invisible, it is invincible. And though it's invisible, it's eternal. And though it's invisible, it is inevitable. And you want to make sure that you're in it. And everybody that you can influence to get in it, gets in it. Because Jesus Christ, He is the King and He always will be.